0: Good morning and welcome to worship on this Lord's Day. Welcome uh, guests and visitors. We pray that each of us will be richly blessed by God's Word and the fellowship of the saints on this Lord's Day. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 67, verses 1 through 4. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27, And then we'll skip ahead to Luke 19, verses uh, 1 through 9. Luke 18, 18 through 27, and 19, 1 through 9. Luke 18, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet thou lackest. Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Let's skip ahead to uh, chapter 19, verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And He made haste. And came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, That he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house For so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So far, the reading of God's holy and infallible word. When we lived overseas um, and we were driving around, we would often See, police, in fact, they're present at most intersections we came to. They usually stood around in about of groups of two to ten police officers. And when someone made a right turn on red or they ran through a traffic light, it was very easy to do there, traffic was very chaotic. Or someone wasn't wearing a helmet on a moped or a big truck was coming into the city overloaded and most of them were. The police would block them and guide them to the side of the road. They'd get it out in front of them with and have their police batons and wave you over to the side of the road. Traffic didn't move very, very fast, so it was easy to do that. And then what you were expected to do is you would pay the policeman a couple of dollars and then you would be sent on your way. But when we first arrived in Cambodia, um, we were getting pulled over all of the time. The police knew that we were new, so any chance they got, even when we hadn't disobeyed a, a traffic law, they would demand, they would pull us over, and they would demand that we pay them two dollars. And this continued for several weeks until we got a a little braver and we refused to pay anything unless we had inadvertently done something wrong. And eventually they realized we'd caught on to them and they got to know who we were and they no longer pulled us over as frequently. Well, the tax collectors, the publicans in Jesus' day, They operated very much like these police did from our time overseas. They too were stationed along the roads. They had tax stations set up where travelers needed to pay them in order to continue down the road. And Zacchaeus was one of these tax collectors. In fact, he was a chief tax collector in Jericho. He was at the hub of a a major trade route in those days. And in our message this morning, we're going to be looking at Zacchaeus's life as a tax collector, his sudden conversion by Jesus, and the effect that Jesus had on his life. And our sermon this morning is, is titled, the, the Scoundrel, The Savior and Saint. And we're going to be looking at, in first, how Zacchaeus was a guilty scoundrel how he encountered a gracious Savior, and how he became an innocent and free saint. But we're going to be doing this in the context of looking at Lord's Day 42 as well. And let's read it together here. Lord's Day 42. Question 110. What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? I answer, God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices, whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights, L's measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, Or by any other way forbidden by God. As also all covetousness, all abuse, and waste of his gifts. Question 111. But what doth God require in this commandment? Answer. That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may. And deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able... To relieve the needy. Zacchaeus was a wee, wee little man. A wee little man was he, so we know the children's song. All of you children probably know this song. You've sung it at home or you sing it at school. We sing it, we'll be singing it probably this afternoon in the after, afternoon Sunday school. This is a, a great children's song. It correctly tells us the story of Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus was a small man, that he, he wanted to see Jesus, that he climbed up in the sycamore tree, that Jesus called out to him and told him to come down and, because he wanted to stay at his house today. But the song does leave something out. It, there's something in the song that they don't tell us. In the song, they don't tell us that Zacchaeus was a greedy man and a thief. Now, he, he wasn't the type of thief that broke into people's houses and, and stole their stuff. He wasn't the type of thief that stopped people on the street and demanded that they give him their money. He's, he was a different kind of thief. He was a cheat. He was a fraudster. He, he's an extortionist. But probably if anyone were to go up to, to Zacchaeus and, and accuse him of being a thief, he would throw up his hands and, and exclaim, no, no, not at all. I'm an honest tax collector. Look at my paperwork. It's, it's all in order. I only collect what needs to be collected. And it may be that Zacchaeus wasn't The worst tax collector. He may not have been as greedy as some of the others. But our text makes it clear, and we'll look at this a little bit later, that he was in fact dishonest. And that he was in fact a thief. He was also a chief tax collector. That means he oversaw a large area and he employed other tax collectors to gather money for him. These tax collectors would station themselves on roads and the tax travelers and those carrying merchandise and delivering goods. Now, being a tax collector doesn't automatically mean that you're a thief, but it's assumed in those days that all tax collectors were. If you were a tax collector, you were probably A thief. And we know Zacchaeus was a thief. He had to give back or he gave back to those who he defrauded. And this shows us that he in fact stole from people. Where he was on the scale of tax collectors and thieves, we simply do not know. Was he a little bit dishonest? Or was he a leader of a notorious gang of criminals? We don't know. But we do know he defrauded people. He would have taken more in taxes from travelers than was required. He would have paid the Romans what he needed to pay, but continued to take money from people and build up his own wealth. And the people, of course, knew this. And this made them hate tax collectors. On top of this, the tax collectors worked for the Romans who were the sworn enemies of the Jewish people. Tax collectors were traitors in the eyes of the Jewish people. To be a Jewish merchant and run into a tax collector on the road, it it would kind of be like us going through a toll booth here and having to pay taxes to the Taliban. These tax collectors were traitors to their own people. And on top of this, they took advantage of them. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus probably made a percentage of money on top of what the other tax collectors took, and therefore he was very rich. Zacchaeus lived in Jericho, a crossroads and trade routes, A beautiful place with a good climate and and plenty of palm trees. He lives in a place where Jesus happens to be going through at this time. Right before entering Jericho, Jesus has now, has just healed blind Bartimaeus and word spreads around that Jesus is coming through Jericho and crowds begin to gather. And children, you, you know what happens. Our text tells us that Zacchaeus hears about Jesus. He wants to see him. But he could not. He was so short. So he ran ahead of where Jesus was going to go. And he, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. And Zacchaeus is being like most of the crowd here. Jesus for him is an attraction. It's a, he's a spectacle that he wants to see. He's probably hoping he can see a miracle being performed. Or perhaps be witness of one of Jesus' famous sermons and be able to tell his other tax collector friends all about it later that night. Tell them all about what he saw. Is Zacchaeus' heart changed at this point? No, it's not. It may be that the Lord is beginning to work. Perhaps he feels some guilt for his thieving ways. But he's probably rationalizing his life away. Rationalizing and making excuses for his thievery. Thievery. He might look at it and say, it's perfectly normal for me to do what I'm doing. All tax collectors do it. They're all corrupt. I need to live. I can't just give all the money I make to the Romans. I need to keep some for myself. But he did more than keep some for himself. He kept a lot of money. And because of this, he was hated by the people. They saw these tax collectors as being wealthy at their own expense, at their people's expense. They saw it as betrayal, using the enemy's authority to enrich themselves to the monetary detriment of their own people. Zacchaeus was also a bad steward. The occupation he had wasn't necessarily a bad one, but he abused his position. He abused the authority given to him by the Roman emperor. He loved money to the degree that he was willing to steal it from his fellow people. The problem here wasn't that Zacchaeus was rich. The problem here is how he got his money the problem here is how much he loved his money now being wealthy having money or even making our, our goal to be financially stable financially successful is, is not sinful in itself nowhere does the bible condemn the rich only the love of money but there are dangers associated with being rich. Right before Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, we see him approached by the rich young ruler. And we, we read this when, in scripture, when we read Scripture. This young man thinks much about, his, about himself, and he's unable to part with his money for the sake of his soul. Jesus comments here, he says, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Riches does pose a threat, according to Scripture, of us entering into the kingdom of God. Now I know that many of us here aren't wealthy. We have mortgages to pay. Maybe we're struggling to find work, struggling to pay our bills, and this can cause significant hardship in in our lives. Others of us here are are comfortable. Others of us here are quite wealthy. But if we compare ourselves to others around the world, or if we compare ourselves to those in the past, particularly those in Jesus' day, we must conclude that our standard of living is, is far above even the richest person. In Jesus' day. And according, if we compare that way, we must conclude that we here in the 21st century, century, according to our standard of living, we are very wealthy. So I think this warning of being rich comes to all of us as well. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for us to be saved. We have been blessed. Blessed with an abundance. The Lord has been gracious to all of us, giving us an abundance or an overabundance, and all of us are called to be faithful stewards of what the Lord has given us. He gives much to us, some more to others, but he gives to all. Now Zacchaeus, he had much, but he was not a faithful steward. Yes, he had lots of money and he may even have been a good saver. Not spending his money on frivolous luxuries and entertainment, but he loved money. And this caused him to be constantly sinning against the eighth commandment. We too are blessed with much. We have much to steward. We have much responsibility. Therefore, we must guard our hearts so that we don't love our money. We don't love our stuff. We don't love our our comfort in this life so much that it causes us to sin. We must not develop hearts that will go to sinful lengths to obtain the wealth, the merchandise, and the comfort that we desire. We must be careful to not follow the practices of the world. We must be careful to not use unscrupulous means to increase our wealth. Especially, and Scripture is very clear about this, especially if it comes at the expense of the poor or the disadvantaged. This the Lord promises to judge severely. In a world where cash is king... We must hold to it lightly. We must be discerning in our obtainment of wealth. We know that this commandment teaches us not to steal, to not take things that aren't ours. As children, we learn that it's wrong to take snacks from our mother, from the cupboard that our mother is saving for later. We know it's wrong to steal candy from our classmates' desk or locker at school. We know not to take things from stores or to take our friends' toys home with us. These aren't ours and we have no right to them. But we do have deviant hearts. And although we may not outrightly take what is not ours, we still often find ways to, to break the Eighth Commandment. The Westminster Larger Catechism goes into, into detail describing the ways that we can steal. Let me just read it a moment. The question is here, what are the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? And the answer is the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the, the neglect of the duties required are theft, robbery, man-stealing, and receiving anything that is stolen, fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures, removing landmarks, Injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man or in matters of trust. Oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, vexatious lawsuits, unjust enclosures and depredation. Engrossing commodities to enhance the price, unlawful callings and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him. Or of enriching ourselves. Covetous, inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods, distrustful and distracting cares and studies and getting, keeping and using them, envying at the prosperity of others is likewise idleness, prodigality, wasteful gaming and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice our own outward estate and defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God hath given us. That's a long list. The Westminster Catechism here does give us the obvious ones. Don't outright steal. Don't receive stolen goods. Don't kidnap others. Because it gets a little bit more in, in depth too. We must honor the contracts that we make. We shouldn't make fraudulent contracts. We shouldn't seek to move our, as it were, our property markers, our property boundaries to increase the size of our property. We shouldn't oppress our workers. We shouldn't charge excessive interest or bring unjust lawsuits or be covetous of goods or money or withhold our neighbor's possessions from them. We may not take from others But neither must we steal from ourselves and and from the Lord. We must not be idle or lazy, wasteful or live lavishly or, or be involved in gambling. And so as we look at this list. Whether we cheat on our taxes, underpay our employees, overcharge for our services, sell faulty merchandise, or use our time unwisely, we all are, to a greater or lesser degree, guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment. And ironically, some of these things that are mentioned here are are perfectly acceptable, they're perfectly acceptable behavior in our culture maybe even considered to be crafty business practices, especially if you can do it and and get away with it. And Zacchaeus would no doubt have agreed with this. But his life is about to dramatically change when he encounters the Lord Jesus Christ, when he encounters the gracious Savior In Luke 16, we hear about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man ends up in hell, in torment. In Luke 18, we, as we read, the rich young ruler can't give up his riches. And Jesus says about this, How hardly shall they who have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I mentioned just a little while ago that we're rich. And so this applies to us. It's impossible. It's for us to enter into the kingdom of God. But now here we have Zacchaeus. We have Zacchaeus, a rich man. Therefore, how hard is it for him to enter the kingdom? He has what many want. His, his needs are met. He, he probably has plans for the future. He, he has authority and power in the world. He's not a needy, broken sinner. He's, he's, not need, he's not leading a miserable life that may help to drive him to the Lord. For Zacchaeus, salvation seems impossible. Impossible. Life was probably pretty good for him and he had little need for the Lord. He was rich. And we've just read it's nearly impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And yet we will see the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Jesus comes. Jesus comes to Jericho and he has plans for Zacchaeus. He's come to call this rich man from sin to salvation. He came to call him from darkness to light. He came to call him from wickedness to righteousness. Jesus comes and he makes the impossible possible. Jesus, knowing he came, he knowing that Zacchaeus was up in the tree, he, he looked up, he saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Jesus comes to the rich man, he comes to the, the tax collector, the publican, the, the charlatan and swindler. Jesus comes to this chief of sinners and he tells him, I'm going to stay at your house today. He tells them that he's coming to abide with him. I have no doubt that what Jesus is doing here is he's picturing for his disciples, he's picturing for his followers this that is impossible is being made possible right before their eyes. He's picturing for his followers that not only can great sinners be saved, but rich great sinners can be saved. As well. As I mentioned earlier, if we examine our standard of living compared to the rest of the world, and especially in the light of history, we are much more wealthy, much more privileged than most. We are in the top 1% of history and more comfortable than many other people in this world. And yet, as I look around this congregation, I see that here, too, the Lord has done the impossible. He has called many to repentance and faith. He has deliberately intervened in our journey to destruction and called us to life in Him. He has called young and old sinners to abide with them. He has called wicked and legalistic sinners to follow Him. He's called rich and poor sinners to salvation. He's called business owners, homemakers, tradesmen, students, salesmen, white collar and blue collar men and women to live in Him. He's caused us to receive Him joyfully. Here in this church, the Lord has made the impossible possible. It is now, when Jesus has called Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus responds. He hurried and came down from the tree, and he received Jesus joyfully. What happened here is a testimony. It's a testimony to the fact that the Lord seeks out the lost and saves them. He seeks out the beggar. Sought out Bartimaeus. But he also seeks out the rich man and calls him to follow him. And notice there's no hesitation on the part of Zacchaeus here. He hears the call of Jesus and he instantly responds. He acts. He hurries and gets out of the tree. He comes down and joyfully receives the Lord. And so this is what the Lord faithfully does. Each and every Lord's Day, each time we open our Bibles, the Lord calls each one of us. He calls us to follow Him. He calls us to receive Him joyfully. Now Zacchaeus could have made excuses. He could have told Jesus that he needed to come get him out of the tree. He could have resisted Jesus' desire to stay at his home. But he he didn't do this. Instead, he joyfully received him. And this gives us great hope as sinners. Perhaps we're like Zacchaeus. Perhaps we've been in love with money, attaining it by whatever means possible. Perhaps we've been involved in questionable investments or transactions. Perhaps we've been gaining riches at the expense of the poor or cheated on our taxes or held back from helping a a needy brother or sister because there is a risk that what we gave may not come back to us. Well, there is forgiveness for you. The Lord Jesus is calling you today. He's calling you to repent of your sins, to metaphorically come down from that tree and follow him. He's calling you to hurry, to come down for He desires to stay with you. And I pray that none of us resist this call. That we do not put up excuses of our inability. That we do not use the sovereignty of God as an escape From our responsibility to respond to the gospel. This is a sincere. This is a loving call from the Lord to you. He doesn't come. He doesn't call you and promise to stay with you. And then go back on his word. He will never turn you away. His call is never an empty or an insincere call. And when Jesus does this, when he savingly calls sinners to abide with him, when he converts them, when he gives them new hearts, there's one thing that always happens. He changes them. He makes them into a new person. He molds them into a saint. And we see this displayed here in Zacchaeus's life. He, a a scoundrel, he's changed to a saint. The Eighth Commandment teaches us that we shall not steal. It tells us what we ought not to do. But by doing this, it's also inferring, it's also telling us what we ought to do. Our catechism addresses us. It tells us that we need to be honest. We need to be just. We need to be generous in our dealings with others. We must be willing to give and to lend as we are able. Not holding on to what the Lord has given us with a tight fist, but with open hands. We need to be others-focused, promoting the advantage of our neighbor in every instance that we are able And laboring, working, yes, to provide for ourselves, but also in order to care for those who are in need. We not only need to avoid what is wrong, but we need also to do what is right. Both the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Larger Catechism catechism make it very clear that we have a responsibility to not only not steal, but that we must also promote the advantage of our neighbor and further the wealth and outward estate of others. We are called to care for the needy, to promote their material and spiritual well-being, caring for them as we would want to be cared for ourselves. Now, as we look at Zacchaeus, we look at his life. It doesn't seem at the beginning here that he had any plans to change his life. He merely wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see if it's true what he had heard about him. But Jesus had other plans. He came, purposely came, looked up in the tree, and he called Zacchaeus, not just to stay at his house. Not just for his spirit to dwell in his heart, but also to change his life. The Holy Spirit, we see here, instantly began to work in Zacchaeus' life. This becomes very evident in verse 5. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore to him fourfold. Zacchaeus' attitude, his heart towards his possessions has instantly changed here. What he once held in a closed fist, he now holds in open hands. Now we must assume that at his house the Lord preached the gospel to Zacchaeus. And that he joyously embraced it in true faith. Zacchaeus has now obtained the pearl of great price. And those other things that he held so dear to before. They now have little value. So he opens his hands. And he isn't just saying this figuratively, what he's saying here. He isn't just expressing a heart change. He actually does this. This is the opposite of the rich young ruler. He is going to give half of his money to the poor. He is going to pay back those he defrauded four times. He's going to give back to those he stole from. Old Testament law demanded that thieves in some cases give back an extra fifth of what they stole. Or in other cases they they give back double of what they stole. But here Zacchaeus is giving back four times the amount that he has stolen. Now hold on a minute. Wait a minute. You might be saying. Some of you might be looking at your Bibles right now and say. Here in my Bible it says of Zacchaeus. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, by fraud. I restore him fourfold. Doesn't this if mean that Zacchaeus may not have defrauded anyone? He's just, if there's someone out there that I happen to defraud, that I'll pay them back fourfold? Well, it appears that way in our English. But in fact, in the Greek, the Greek grammar makes it clear that it is true that he has defrauded people. Zacchaeus is making this statement with the clear assumption that he has stolen from people. The statement is conditioned on the fact that he has defrauded people. Look at this change. What a remarkable change here in Zacchaeus. And it happens so quickly. Well, such is the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we see the impossible becoming possible again. First a rich man is saved. Now we have a man who loved his money, now instantly changing, and not only making restitution four times the amount to those he has wronged, but he's giving half of his remaining money away to the poor. Zacchaeus is now not only no longer stealing, but he's been dramatically changed by the Holy Spirit that he's now instead advancing the well-being of his neighbors. He's building back broken relationships with others by restoring to them what he has taken. And to see this happening here, this is an incredible encouragement to us. Here we see the Holy Spirit doing what what we cannot do. Changing a sinful heart. And we must remember that in this change, Zacchaeus isn't divorced from this change. It isn't something that magically happens. He isn't inactive in this change in his heart. He's not an emotional stoic or an emotional robot who with the snap of Fingers has a different heart. Oh, he's active in this change. And there's a powerful force at work here in Zacchaeus, a powerful force that the Holy Spirit uses to transform Zacchaeus. And that's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus encounters. This love. His being is filled with this love. He is in blissful awe at the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ has sought him. That the Lord Jesus Christ called him from that tree and saved him. He is in awe that the Lord would save a despised tax, tax collector as himself. That his sins have freely been forgiven. There was no money involved in this heavenly transaction. It is the love of Christ that motivates Zacchaeus here. It's the love of Christ that motivates him to give half of his belongings to the poor, to restore to those whom he has defrauded. And it's important to note here that Zacchaeus does this. He does this not because it is required. Or maybe I could say he does this because it is required, but it's he does this because the law requires him to live a holy life. But that's not his primary motivation here. Zacchaeus does this because he wants to. His new heart's desire is to liberally give and restore what he took. This is what true holiness is. This is what true saintly living looks like. And true holiness in relation to the eighth commandment is not only not to steal. But it is the love of Christ in us. Promoting us to give of our money, to give of our belongings, to give of our time, to give of ourselves freely and joyfully to Christ's service and freely and joyfully to our neighbor. It involves a heart where we hold lightly to the resources that God has given us. That we don't hoard them to ourselves, but we invest them. We invest our talents in the kingdom of God. And yes, this does involve giving our money away. Yes, this does involve investing even in our own spiritual growth. But it is so much more than that. This involves relationships using our time and resources for others, coming alongside the sinner, coming alongside the the struggling Christian, caring for them, encouraging them, and pointing them to Christ. And perhaps you're sitting here too, wondering why you aren't growing in grace. I can't judge your heart, but perhaps it might be because you're holding on to all you've learned. You're holding on to all your spiritual growth. You're holding on to what you know about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gifts that He's given you. You're holding on to them in a tight fist and not sharing them with others. So perhaps it's time to stop sitting, complaining because or hoping to be fed. Perhaps it's time to start going out and To feed others. As we are supposed to hold our material resources with open hands. And be willing to share with others the abundance that the Lord has given us. So we need to hold our spiritual blessings with open hands. Being willing not only to receive the grace and mercy of our Lord. But also to tell and share and show Christ's love. To all those around us. Do you want to grow in grace? Take that step from being a passive Christian. To being a more active Christian. Yes, doing so is an act of faith. You may think you have nothing to offer. But the Lord still calls you to. Take this step. He's gifted you. He's gifted all of us differently. And that's what's so beautiful about this body. That's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. Some of us have the gift of being able to speak. Others of us have the gift of of being able to serve. Some have the gift of hospitality. Others have the gift of leadership skills and would make good mentors. Some spend much time in prayer. Others are gifted in helping the poor and still others are good at being able to counsel those going through hardship. We are called to use our gifts for the glory of God and the well-being of our neighbor. So let us embrace our calling. Let us embrace this great privilege that the Lord has given us. We have been gifted with the greatest news the world has ever known. We see it here in our text. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Salvation has come to this house, and we have become the true sons of Abraham. What do we do with this? Do we hoard it to ourselves? we are called not to be miserly with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to wisely steward what has been given to us. Maybe for some of us, the word stewardship, when we hear it, it means to save. It means to hang on to. It It means to be miserly with what you've received. A good steward is someone who hangs on to what they have, who, who saves their money is miserly with their money. But to do so with these gifts that the Lord has given us, even with our money, is to be like the third servant who buried his talent in the sand. Wise, godly stewardship often means to freely give, to freely share with others the abundance That the Lord has given us. And we do this, yes, because we're commanded to do it. But our primary motivation is the love of Christ. If the Spirit of Christ lives within us, then serving, giving, and sacrificing ourselves for the kingdom of God, giving of our resources and of ourselves, isn't something that's a burden. But it's a great privilege. It's a great joy. It becomes a great privilege to serve the Lord and others. It becomes an honor to serve our brothers and sisters, to give ourselves for the little ones, to sacrifice ourselves as Christ gave himself. Will we do this perfectly? Will we do this and and earn enough to, to, to feel like we've earned God's favor? I hope not. You are going to fail in your service. You're not going to be a perfect servant. You are going to sin in the best of your works. but lean on Christ. Look to the hope of the gospel. This will motivate you to go out serving. Lean and look to the truth and wonder of the Lord's mercy and grace. And this will spur you on and give you the desire to serve others, give you the desire to live a life as a servant. The Lord will sustain you. The Lord will help you. He will cause you to grow more and more in His grace and knowledge. The privilege and honor of being a child of God reveals itself in our showing and speaking of Christ of Christ's love to others. What is a duty becomes a joy. What is an obligation becomes a delight. So today, as we head to our homes, as we head to our schools, as we head to our places of, of employment, let us, by God's grace, let's look for opportunities to serve. Let's look for opportunities to tell others the great news. The great news we know. Let's stop forgetting how we can obtain things for ourselves. Let's be praying and searching how we can be servants in the kingdom of God. And as we do this, we must remember that this isn't an obligation whereby we gain favor with God, but it's something we do as gratitude to our our great King and Savior for His wonderful work of salvation in us. It's something we do because He has so wonderfully blessed us. It's something we do because He came and sought us who were lost. He brought salvation to our house. He did the impossible and He saved us, rich and wicked sinners. And now, we get the privilege and honor and joy of living for Him. Amen. Our faithful Lord in heaven. Lord, we thank Thee so much for the gospel. And we pray, O Lord, that all of us would come to see the good news in it. The good news that not only... Because of what Thou hast done, dear Lord Jesus, our sins can be forgiven and we can be made perfect and we can go to glory to be with Thee where we will no longer sin. But also the good news that Thou hast given us, Thy Holy Spirit, so that even this side of glory, we can begin to live for Thee. The good news that we can live our lives for Thy honor and glory imperfect, yet daily confessing our sins, but yet, O Lord, beginning to experience what it is to be a faithful servant, what it is to, to follow the King of the universe. So, Lord, work this in all of us. Help us to be Thy servants. Help us to be servants to all those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.